hosting for Your Tech Life, proudly provided by Web Central. Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. And thank you very much for listening. Your Tech Life is the name of the show, episode 226 is what you're listening to. Uh, my name is Trevor Long, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Trevor Long. You can also go to the website, eftm.com.au, um, where I muse about technology, cars, lifestyle things, bits and bobs. You can also hear me on the radio across the country, r- random in various places, uh, which I should get around to updating on the website very soon. But anyway, more importantly, you are here now. I am in your phone. I am in your computer. Wherever I am, it's great to be here. Feels comfortable. Stretching a bit because it's spacious. Yeah, you could fill up with a bit more uh, data, perhaps. I'm only taking up 20 meg. So let's fill up with more. Um, this week on the show, uh, we're going to talk a fair bit extended warranties because of last week's show. Uh, you'll remember Mark's call from last week. I'll recap that and we'll follow up with Mark tonight, today, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening. Um, and I'm also going to talk to the um, Fair Trading Commissioner in New South Wales, Rod Stowe. So we'll get a bit of a sense of what is the deal with extended warranties. I've also had a chance to uh, visit the offices of PlayStation Australia here in Sydney and talk to the big boss, the man who's been here since the very start, Michael Ephraim. Uh, he is an absolutely top bloke, loves uh, a, a casual chat, and we, we had a good chat uh, this week, and I'll bring you that conversation shortly. Um I found the the incident, shall we say, with Ethiopian Airways um, earlier this week. If you haven't heard about it, it was a an attempted hijacking. It was a hijacking. It was it was kind of very strange. Unfortunately, no injuries, no concern, no problems. But um, a very interesting story about social media, mainstream media, and different things like that. So we'll talk about that, and we'll also talk quickly a little bit about scalping, uh, ticket scalping, because. Uh, uh, there's been a big story just today, and it's Tuesday as I record this. Um, I think it's the 18th of uh, February, yes, uh, in, in Western Australia. I know that because I've done four radio interviews in Perth, uh, so it must be a big deal, uh, talking about ticket scalping and the issues over there. So we'll have a look at that as well. Um, but more importantly, it's all about hearing from you, and if you've got a question, a concern, a problem uh, about technology, uh, do give me a call, one eight hundred one five seven one five seven. You could literally ring me right now, and I won't lie, you won't get me. You'll get my uh, my amazing messaging system, and <laughs> it's called voicemail. Uh, and I will come back to you next time I record, and we'll have a chat and try and help you out with your question about technology. If you have a question you want to put down in black and white, go to the website eftm.com.au, click on the big ugly photo of me, Email Trevor Long and get in touch. Come straight to my inbox, straight to my phone, straight to whatever device I'm using. There is no vetting. Um, I get every email and I try and help as many people as I can. So if you've got a question or problem with technology, get in touch. Say good day. It doesn't matter what it's about. It's all thanks to the good people at Garmin, Garmin Satellite Navigation and GPS uh, Technologies. Lots of great products there. And I'll tell you about one or two of those a little later in the show. Also, you are listening to Your Tech Life. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, Your Tech, Tech Life with Trevor Long. So thank you for listening, and uh, I thought we'd kick it off tonight with a follow-up from last week. Now, you might remember Mark's call last week about uh, a problem he had with his Samsung TV. Uh, bought it a few years ago, uh, out of standard warranty, but did also buy an extended warranty from the retailer, JB Hi-Fi. And uh, 
you know, had an inherent problem with the TV and uh, especially during the winter games was noticing this uh, amazing purple patch across the screen and a known fault with the set itself and that, that model. So really something that having paid a lot of money for the TV and then a lot of money for an extended warranty, you would kind of hope and assume that would um, would end up being replaced, fixed or, or something of the sort. And uh, we took the time to uh, pass Mark's details on and um, and I thought we'd get him back on the line and see how things are going. G'day, Mark. Yeah, Trevor. Mate, uh, so we did, we kind of attacked this two ways because obviously, you know, you're having not a lot of luck with, with everyone, but, uh, you know, first and foremost, the TV itself, um, Samsung, we're, we're pretty happy to come to the party and help out. Yeah, Trevor, within uh, 24 hours of going on your show last week, I had a call from Samsung and um, they basically said, as it was only a day before the new consumer laws came in, they were going to... Uh, provide me with a new TV. And uh, I said, uh, it's fantastic. Mm. And once again, I'm not sure why Samsung are doing it instead of the insurance company. But and that, and that's, your point. that's your point, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Even though it's a great gesture from Samsung, and Samsung had offered a depreciated price and all these different things for you, uh, really, you bought extended warranty and, and you didn't realize, you didn't think it should be their problem. But as no. I kind of said to Samsung, I mean, you know, let's not beat around here. This could take forever to get a resolution with the insurance company let alone you know maybe not getting anything more than than your money back so good to good to have that that um sort did have you got the tv yet yes got the tv yesterday and they took away the old one and they've gone above and beyond as far as i'm concerned it's fantastic uh, i can highly recommend samsung oh, and really uh really also good. had a call the next day from jb hi-fi and mm-hmm. um an email as well and they they still, I think, are a little confused as to why Lumley haven't dealt with the matter and right. it's gone to Samsung. Yep. And uh, when I questioned the value of their, or the lack of value of their extended warranty product, their reply to me was that in the majority of cases, suppliers are unlikely to offer refunds in respect to faults occurring several years after purchase. But mm. that's not my experience after this. And with yeah, the new true. consumer laws, it seems if you pay a decent amount, something you it's expected to last and in the with a tv at least three years i guess yeah and i look to be honest i would have thought um the known the known sort of turnaround time on tvs is kind of six to eight years so you would expect a life in them of at least five i would have thought so i think you're well within your bounds to say hang on a minute just should work and it's really interesting to me here that uh and it's great that samsung came Mm -hmm. to the party and then i think also fantastic that um uh, JB Hi-Fi ended up just giving you your full money back, didn't they, on the on the yep. extended warranty? Yep, they agreed that um, I, you know, I haven't been treated correctly and they're looking into it you know, with their dealings with Lumley. And as I said, they're still confused as well as to why Lumley didn't uh, yeah. provide me with a refund or a repair or a replacement. So yep. They've said, look, we're not sure what's going on. You can come and collect your $399 as well. So the, I've got the, the new telly and I've got my extended warranty money back. You've done pretty well out of that. I think the yeah. – I'm not, I'm not too, too bothered about the insurer because, I mean, we could be jumping through hoops for months trying to talk to them. But in the end, um, you would expect that given the experience, JB Hi-Fi are probably the ones that will put the pressure on the insurer to lift their game, hopefully. Yeah. When I went and picked up the money for the insurance refund, the warranty refund, it said on the uh, invoice – that Lumley were going to get billed for that. So, <laughs> that's, what yeah. you, that's what you want to see, isn't it? You want to see yeah. everyone that you want to, well, really it's their fault. So you want to see them at least lose the money they, they originally got from you. 
Yeah, but during my research of all this, it really does seem that extended warranties. Now the consumer laws are black and white. Extended warranties are really not worth the paper they're written on. Not not at all. You know, the consumer's covered now. Well, that's that's a it's a good question to ask, and uh, you've done a lot of research clearly by your experience. And I'm going to talk to the Commissioner of Fair Trading here in New South Wales later in the show to just get that in in kind of layman's terms. What does it mean, and what should a consumer do? Because you do get offered the warranty, and you think, oh, well, so, I mean, it, it is an, it, it is a big purchase. So yeah. really, it's all about education, isn't it, Mark? And I guess you're um, you're going to advocate for um, for the consumer laws these days when you're having at a dinner party with friends. You're going to be encouraging them not to get an extended warranty. I would have thought. Absolutely, and I remember it vividly the day I bought my telly. They were pushing, you know, it's a big purchase. You're going to mount it on the wall. It's a piece of furniture. You really want it covered for five years. And I said, yeah. Well, the Yeah, and then when I had the experience I did, it uh, definitely makes me question it. And as you said, I tell everyone now. Everyone listens to your podcast anyway. All my friends had a good listen to it, and Mm -hmm. they all agree, and it will be... No extended warranty purchases with my great, great uh, group of friends anyway. Well, a big thanks to, to Samsung and uh, and all the team there for getting. And, and you know, to be honest, even I was I was blown away by how quickly they jumped on uh, on your query, and uh, it's great. I mean, it's difficult because there's there's plenty of people in your situation, and I, you know, I I can't. Not everyone can get the resolution you got. Um, not everyone has the exact same situation that you had. And uh, other people might have a slightly similar problem that's not quite as black and white. So, you know, people need to be, be careful that it's not always going to be rosy like this. But hopefully other people will be armed with the information about consumer law and, and, and try and win the fight for themselves. And hopefully more people will get a good result. But glad that Samsung and JB Hi-Fi both helped you out, mate. I'm glad that you'll, uh, you'll be watching the, the Winter Olympics in, uh, in, in beautiful vision now, I guess. Absolutely, Trevor, and thanks very much to yourself. And uh, you know, you may describe your podcast as your little podcast, but it does get a fair reach out there. I know a lot of people that listen to it, and uh, obviously got a bit of pull up high as well. So thanks for your help too, Trevor. No worries, mate, and thanks for getting in touch, buddy. No worries, thanks, Trevor. Yeah. And you can get in touch as well. Just go to the website eftm.com.au. Your tech life with Trevor Long. So Monday afternoon. Uh, Sydney time, I was sitting at my desk and I noticed just a little bit of image activity on TweetDeck. Now, so you understand, I, I'm not constantly on Twitter, but I do have a screen dedicated to, to TweetDeck, which I think is, you know, one of the greatest uh, ways of monitoring real time what's happening in the world. And if you've ever worked in the media, it's basically like having a wires screen open. Uh, and, and what happens with TweetDeck is if you allow the embedded images on, on tweets and things to actually show up as full images, you notice stuff in, in the corner of your eye. And I noticed this, what looked to be an image from Flight Tracker, which is a flight tracking website. Now, let's, be, let's, let's talk about that first, because this is, this is where it gets really, really interesting. Um, flight Tracker uh, 24 is the name of the website I've used a few times. There's other ones, Flight Radar, different things. But essentially, if you go to Flight Tracker 24, uh, it takes you to where you are because it knows who, where you are. And I'm now seeing, because I'm in Sydney, as I go to this website right now, I'm seeing a, a map of New South Wales. I can see the, the tip of Victoria as well, Frankston. I can barely see the city of Melbourne. But it's loading now in front of me the planes that are in the sky. Okay? Now, I can see in front of me a bunch of planes. I can't see a count anywhere. There probably is one, but there's lots of planes. And I can hover over those planes and see the flight number. So, for example, I can see that flight TGW816 is kind of heading down towards Scone uh, across Tamworth. And when I click on it, it shows me a Tiger Airways. It shows me a picture of a plane, not that specific plane, but 
a plane in that um, livery so and that model. So it's a Tiger Air, uh, Airbus A320, red, registration VHVNJ. It's flying at 38,000 feet at 460 knots. Uh, and it's squawking 1076. Now, I don't know what squawk 1076 is, right? But this is where it gets uh, kind of interesting. Now, if I look up um, squawk 1076 on Google, uh, and, and I'm going to do that right now, it might we might find out, right? Uh, now, if only I could spell squawk, hey? <laughs> that'd, that'd help. Um, but it says squawk 1076. Now, what's happening was on Monday afternoon, you know, real aviation nerds had noticed that there was a um, uh, uh, a Squawk seventy five hundred happening uh, on on a radar. Now I can't. By the way, there's nothing nothing here that quickly tells me what one hundred seven sixty. So let's assume it's okay. But seventy five hundred could mean hijack. So what they did was they clicked on this plane and they could see that it had been circling around and around and around Geneva Airport in uh, Switzerland. But this was a flight that was going from Abbasada or somewhere like that in Ethiopia to Rome. And why was it over Geneva circling? Well, you turn on the air traffic control because you can listen to the air traffic control over the internet. And you find out that um, there's a situation. Uh, when they finally are running out of fuel, they land. And the pilot, one of the pilots, opens the window of the cockpit and jumps out and runs. Uh, because he's seeking asylum. He's the co-pilot of the plane. Now, the technology story here is this. Did you know you could track flights? I've known for ages. I love it. It's great fun. Did you know that you could um, listen to air traffic control? And did you know that by being on Twitter, you can follow uh, incidents like this in almost real time? It is amazing. But importantly, it's not news. It's information. And you should be careful with what you do with that information. Now, um, a lot of people complaining on Twitter. Why isn't this in the mainstream media? I can't believe the mainstream media is not across this. Well, I work in the mainstream media, and I can tell you why it's not there. Because the only information we knew at the time was a plane was circling many times and landed, and the, cock- the pilot left the cockpit. We didn't know who he was, what had happened. We certainly didn't know if passengers were safe. And in circumstances like that, you do not broadcast this kind of thing. Ethiopian Airways then put out a statement saying that the plane had been forced to Geneva and that all passengers were okay, so off we went to the mainstream media. But if you have a love for news and information, it is unbelievable if you're not on Twitter because Twitter is such a great example of information dissemination uh, across the world. I I think it's just stunning. Um, So... If you're not on Twitter, check it out. If you are on Twitter, I'd love to know what you think of these kind of things. Tweet me. Just um, tweet, tweet me a hello or a question or whatever it is. And um, that's just at Trevor Long. Um, and let me know what you think. And if you've used Flight Tracker or Flight Radar, uh, let me know why you use it, how you use it, and what you use it for. As I record this, uh, Virgin Airways Flight 978 from Brisbane to Sydney is, is landing on the uh, right-hand runway over... Um, Port Botany. <laughs> this is the information you can have. If you're a plane spotter, it's amazing. Uh, it's just brilliant information because it, um, it, uh, it, it's real time. You can even see, in some cases, you can actually see the, uh, the, the vehicles showing up. So uh, runway 34R is, uh, is in action on uh, in Sydney Airport right now. 
um, and for the complete geeks of the world, the um, the three four R L and R and the uh, I think it's the one six L and R are the two uh, main uh, runways on uh, Sydney Airport um, and the cross runway. Uh, I'd have to think about that. Uh, the the number escapes me, but what you need to know about those numbers is it's the coordinates. It's a compass coordinate. Anyway, you learn something new every day. Anyway, Ethiopian Airlines uh, flight did um, successfully land safe, or passengers safe, but a very interesting story of social media and uh, the internet and the dissemination of information. Check out flightradar24.com if you're into aviation. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say But travel along's the world's best techie He's the kind of guy we picked on at school And it wasn't fair, but he don't care, he's cool Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading Your Tech Life. EFTM.com.au is the website to go to if you want to get in touch. And it's all thanks to the good people at Garmin. Garmin Satellite Navigation GPS Systems. And uh, I love browsing their website because, you know, you think about satellite navigation systems in your car, you know, your GPS. And, in fact, I've got one here. My first, I'm happy to say it was a Navman. My very first sat-nav system, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, I think it cost me... About four hundred dollars. Uh, very basic little screen, two di- two dimensional maps. That's about it. Um, and today, for ninety nine dollars recommended retail, you can get the Garmin Nuvi forty two LM. And this is a four point three inch display, maps of Australia, New Zealand, lifetime map updates, lane assist with junction view. So that means when you're driving up to a complicated set of lanes or intersection it actually shows you the lanes in a like a cartoon style like a drawing format with pictures of the street signs uh and arrows in the lanes you're meant to be in it's very easy to use it displays the speed limit the current speed an accurate arrival time easy to find addresses and thousands of points of interest and of course spoken turn by turn directions i think you know for what you're getting with this device it is stunning value for money and you'll probably find great deals on that the Nuvi 42 lm at uh, recommended retails of garmin products and uh, you can read more about it just go to garmin.com.au and of course uh, if you go to their website you can also find uh, find retailers uh, of their products at uh, on their website just um, type in the postcode and uh, you can see exactly who is stocking uh, garmin products like the good guys jb hi-fi bing lee they're all got them dick smith and uh, johnny apple c gps they're still around they're doing Good stuff there. I've heard a lot about them. Uh, so Garmin.com.au, the place to go to check it out. Uh, more information on that product and more, Garmin.com.au.
Ah, uh, yes, you're listening to Your Tech Life. My name is Trevor Long, and I am a bit of a nerd. Um, a bit of a nerd, yes. Uh, <clears throat> so what gaming console is in your home? Do you have a PlayStation? PlayStation 2? PlayStation 3? Xbox? Xbox 360? PlayStation 4? Xbox One? So many people have gaming consoles, let alone play games. Uh, it's staggering the statistics that are coming out regarding gaming at every level. And um, I got a really interesting opportunity this week to uh, sit down with the boss of uh, Sony Computer Entertainment Australia. Uh, his name's Michael Ephraim, or Ephraim, I should say. And uh, I, um, I recorded the interview, and I'll, um, I thought I'd play it to you here on Your Tech Life. I'm here in the offices of uh, Sony Computer Entertainment with, uh, with the boss, Michael Ephraim. Um, last week... The, um, the announcement came out that in 2013, Australians spent $2 billion on gaming. You've been with PlayStation or Sony Computer Entertainment since the very start here in Australia. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that it would be a $2 billion industry in Australia? No, not really, Trevor. Trevor, before I joined here, I was with Sega Games. Mm. And with Sega Games back then, the gr- glory days of the Master System and the Nintendo, uh, the total market size was $90 million. <laughs> and it catered to, you know, kids like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, side-scrolling games, n- you know, graphic quality, p- pretty poor, but some yeah. big IP. Yeah. Uh, so when you know I was uh, employed by Sony and they started talking about PlayStation, we never imagined the transition the category would go into. Because back then it was like you know we need to be part of that uh, that gaming. We need to be giving you know youth that gaming experience. And now um, and and obviously you can talk about PlayStation's share of that two billion. But now it's this is not for kids. This is this, there is um, a gaming experience for every demographic. Um, and when you look at the success of the PS3 in Australia last year, and then I would have to say the slow success of the PS4, but only because of delivery uh, delays, but you've, you've, you've notched it for number one now, it's a, it's a phenomenal rise over, what has it been, um, 13 years? Yeah, about, about 15 years yeah. now. Uh, you know, and you, you, you're, you're spot on. Now, there's stats that uh, Jeff Brand, Dr. Uh, Professor Jeff Brand from Bond University, was uh, um, enlisted by the Industry Association to do research, and he does it every two or three years. So just some stats that roll off the top of my head. Uh, Something like 93% of homes have a gaming device of some sort, including Mm. a PC. 50%, uh, 47% of women have played games. 80% of moms play games. But I think if you roll it back to... First of all, PlayStation 1 that delivered real-life 3D graphics, not stereo, uh, yeah. 3D stereoscopic graphics, but 3D graphics. But then, you know, PlayStation had a lot to do to bring in that broader audience with things like SingStar. Yeah. You know, SingStar, we sold just under a million microphone sets in Australia. And, you know, every woman and mom was having cocktail parties and singing their heads off with their friends. You know, SingStar was the, the reason I got my first uh, PlayStation because, you know, I, I think I experienced it at, at a family or friend's place, uh, had a great time and literally bought a PlayStation uh, with the SingStar pack, you know, because it was just so much uh, entertainment. It wasn't a game. It was just a fun thing to do when we had people around. It, it's, it's an amazing way it's probably an indication of the change towards more of a family and, and a group entertainment than this buried in a in a whole console gaming experience that a lot of people think of gamers as yeah exactly and and if you look at the fact that 
PlayStation 1 was the first device, because of CD technology mm -hmm. that we were using for the medium, was the first console that played music CDs. Yeah, right. And then PlayStation 2, when it launched, was the cheapest DVD player on the market. <laughs> and then PlayStation 3, blue, BD disc player. Yeah, right, yeah. So, you know, it's oh, Sony, PlayStation has always had the vision that the device, as a gaming device initially, would morph into the center of the lounge room. That was always sort of, yeah. you know, a 10, 15 year plan and I think we, we probably saw it the most with PlayStation 3 yeah. you know we got 2 million units sold in Australia and 80% of them are connected to the web connected uh, online so they're downloading games they're watching movies they're online with friends so it's really opened it up you know mm. uh, third party services you know catch up TV services so it's but you know at the same time the console industry has sort of merged into much bigger industries, yeah. set-top box industries. Yeah. You know, it's not a, just a gaming business anymore. What, what the other guys do impact us. Other guys like Apple and Google and mm. so on. We're all we're all playing for that that lounge room right now. Yeah. At, at the end of last year, when the uh, the next generation consoles were, were literally about to hit, we had literally a year of, of preamble towards it, um, which you know in the tech and the gaming press was you know, enormous. But for the average punter, end of last year, November, it was it was game time, <clears throat> literally. And pardon the pun, but the Sony marketing strategy around the PS4 was for the players. I found that to be a little bit interesting, given what you, even what you just said about the, the entertainment and the lounge room experience, because you know I expected it to be more about the, the next evolution of the, of the lounge room entertainment. Now, it does all those things, but you focused, from my point of view, it seemed like you focused on the gaming, the players. So what, why was that? And, and was that a strategic move to make sure that it still struck a chord with gamers? Listen, for, for any, any console generation launch, you know, your, your early adopters are core gamers. Yeah, right. So you, you, you have to take care of them. They're your loyal fans through thick and thin, and you have to take care of them. But, you know, for the, for the player, but with PlayStation 4, what it does is it puts the player or it gives the player the opportunity to play games like they are living their lives. Mm. What I mean by that, I'll just give you a quick example. I have four, four boys at home. <laughs> FIFA, soccer, mad. So when they played play, uh, FIFA on PlayStation 3, scored a great goal, stopped the game, put it on replay, bring out the phone, vid <laughs> video it, and post it on Facebook. Yeah. Well, with PlayStation 4, you hit the share button. Yeah. And you just either broadcast it to all your friends, to one friend, post it on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation 4 allows you to connect with your play, uh, PlayStation 4 through tablets and phones, yeah. AOS, uh, iOS and Android uh, uh, operating system phones. So, you know, it's, it's, it's now putting gaming in the realm of the home w w with the way consumers play games, mm -hmm. you know, with social media, with sharing and so on. Uh, so that's the exciting part that mm -hmm. we've listened to. That, that's why when we say for the players, that's how players play. They play a game and they're on Facebook chatting to their friends about the game or mm -hmm. they're sending some information about the game or reading about it online. Yeah. So what we've done is we've made that all much simpler with the PS4. Mm -hmm. The, um, the, the titles that are available now in games, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing when you sit behind a machine. I, I pulled out my Commodore 64 recently and, and just showed my seven-year-old what gaming was like back in the day. He's a bit of a Skylander <laughs> player now. But, and, then, and then you turn on you know, Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty Ghosts, and these are titles that are across all platforms. So how important, in, especially in the launch phase for a new, new generation console, are the exclusive titles, you know, the, the ones that you can only get on a PlayStation or from Microsoft's point of view, 
You can only get it on Xbox. How important is that part of the strategy in terms of building and, and having a, a franchise? Yeah. Well, I, you know, very important. In the, in the PlayStation 1 days when we were 80% market share, we had just about all titles exclusive. You yeah. know, the world's changed. The, the, the publishers have a very interesting situation now where business is good, but in the past they could just publish for PlayStation 1 and, you know, go home and, and put your feet up. Yeah. Now they've got to publish for five, six, seven different formats, you know. So, so exclusives are not as readily available, but still our first party content is where that's important. Mm. Last of Us, last year, the title Last of Us was the biggest selling new IP in the console. Made it into the top 10 yeah, yeah. titles. Top 10 title. Gran Turismo 6 has been something synonymous with PlayStation. Yeah. You know, now 50 million units across all the iterations mm -hmm. sold globally. Um, you know, Infamous Sun coming out. So it is important. It's important also that we work with publishers on their titles because titles, big titles for, play, for PlayStation 4 and the other consoles such as Watchdog and Destiny, which Destiny is from Bungie, who used to make Halo, mm. but was bought by Activision. Yeah. On those titles, there will be exclusive content only for PlayStation that's, 4. That's the interesting strategy, isn't it? It's around you know, knowing that uh, whether it's exclusive content in a cross-platform title or whether or not it's you know people I know people that, that have certain uh, certain consoles because they know that they get the maps first and all that That's kind of stuff right. it, it's, it's a big deal for, for gamers yeah because you know for the for, for platform holders to work with publishers on exclusives it would cost a lot of money yeah, because yeah. the console install base is so big across all the competitors so mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. We're working with uh, Ubisoft. We're working with Activision very closely on their big titles. Um, but I, I think, you know, functionality on P PlayStation 4 is another strong reason, moving away from games. Yeah. The, the seamless connectivity, the third-party content we have on there, uh, catch-up TV, movies, and so on, that's, that's starting to grow. As you know, that category isn't, yeah. isn't making lots of money yet, but one day it will be all yeah. digital. So it's very exciting times. The, you mentioned money in digital. The, the, that $2 billion we, we talked about earlier from 2013, I think eight or $900 million of it was digital. And that, it's an interesting space. I think in a couple of years those numbers are going to have to get broken down a lot better because, um, and you mentioned 93 or 95% of households having a, a gaming device. Well, I guess if you've got a phone, you've got a gaming device. So we're going to need to drill into those numbers over the years ahead. But those digital numbers are interesting because you can now sit at your console and download a game without having to go to a retail store. It's there if you've, if you've got the willing connection and the data available, you can download a game straight away. So you've got these big game purchases. Now, the micro payments that are occurring in the mobile space are just insane, frankly. Yep. Um, I can get uh, a game, and I'll give you an example, Real Racing 3, a fantastic game on, on iOS, uh, free game. I've probably spent $200 on it, mm. right? Because yep. of all these in-app in purchases. Is that is that coming to consoles in a bigger sense? Because there are there are games that do things like that. But is that going to become a big part of the economy? Do you think in the console space? You know, I, I think with digital and not just in gaming and movies and music. If you look at the evolution they've gone through, mm -hmm. everything from remember when music were had encrypted, yes. you know, yeah. uh, blah blah blah. So now it's it's uh, subscription models. Yeah. So there's 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 buy uh, uh, models. There will be subscription models. We already, last year on PlayStation 3, launched a title that we launched earlier called Uncharted, mm. uh, which is an excellent series of games. And you could download uh, certain levels of the game, 
and there was a free-to-play uh, yeah, right. you know, premium model, yep. freemium as they call it. So we've already experimented with that. Yep. I think you'll see more and more of different ways. Now at CES, we announced PlayStation Now, yes, which right. is a streaming service. Yeah, yeah. Now that's going to take time to roll out around the world. But so you know what you can imagine in time is you go to the PlayStation Store, you you, you can buy a game or you can subscribe and rent games and mm. play them off servers. Yeah. So I think you know what the industry is going through, as many industries are, as I said earlier rapid change in technology, different consumer behavior. So there's all kinds of models, freemium, ad-wrapped models for yeah. games, you know, so it just goes on and on. Is that what keeps you here? I mean, you've been here a long time in this <laughs> business. I was, I was thinking Fair about enough. it when, when I, when I was uh, talking, talking to people on the weekend about coming to talk to you. You know, I would think it's rare to find a man who, who would run and lead and build such a successful business um, uh, to, to still be here after such a period of time? Is it because it does continually evolve that it keeps you excited and interested? I've never found the time to dust off my CV, to be very honest, you know. <laughs> you don't need a CV. People call you. Yeah. PlayStation, uh, you know, PlayStation 1, when we were briefed on it, like I said, you know, we were just starting off. Uh, Ken Kutaragi, who invented PlayStation, said to us, PlayStation 1 is a Trojan horse, and it will evolve over the next 10 to 15 years. So, you know, my job every single year has changed. Yeah. You know, I've dealt with, you know, physical, starting up a distribution, and then different formats and, and, and uh, connect, uh, uh, collaboration with other entertainment forms like DVD and Blu-ray. And now I'm working with, you know, content providers to put the services on my machine. Mm. So, to be honest, it's been a dream job, but it's never been dull. It's never yeah. been boring because we've been really at the forefront of the evolution of technology and entertainment. My pet love um, with the PS4 is, uh, is the Vita remote. Yep. I just find that to be a stunning integration of two pieces of hardware at a software level. You know, you've got this f fantastic and probably under, not under known, but I guess it's just, it's a bit of a cult thing, the, the Vita, I, I would describe it in my world. Um, you know, I love my Vita. I've, I've been on plane flights to America and driven a whole season of Formula One on my Vita sitting in a plane. Um, but I've also sat and said to my son, hey, why don't you play Lego, Marvel, whatever it is at the moment, just take the Vita into the next room. Don't. I'm watching TV. Yep. That that seems to me to be a really amazing piece of technology. That um, I guess is just the next level. Which which uh, the evolution of that is is quite quite extreme. I would have thought. Yeah. Well, and and it's also it's unique in the category yes. where the console has an attachment to a mobile device that yeah. you can play games. Uh, clearly, Vita is a very, very powerful machine. That remote play feature, I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up, is something that, at the moment, is probably underutilized. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, and, and we know the challenge of launching a dedicated handheld game. We've learned that with Vita yep. in the environment with tablets and mobile phones yeah. and so on. But it's still, you know, as we expand that offering, uh, you know, I think people will, will catch on to that. And as Kaz Harai, our president, said, you know, the, the, the key components for Sony going forward will be uh, portability, mm -hmm. uh, gaming, and digital imaging. Now, portability includes in there Sony, Sony Mobile. Yep. Uh, the Xperia Z is a, an amazing phone. Beautiful it phone, really yeah. is a beautiful phone. Now, you know, there's definitely uh, visions to, to bring that mobility uh, device into the fold with PlayStation. Yeah, right. Already on the non-game content, 
you can uh, video unlimited music unlimited our first party music and video service you can access through your Sony mobile or your your PlayStation yeah. device they're now in-game apps for mobile phones now not specifically the second Sony screen, but second yeah. screen and so on so I think you'll see that what we've we've done with remote play and Vita just expand out in its offering over time yeah so you've watched, you've watched an amazing evolution of the technology from concept PlayStation 1 all the way through. Um, and PlayStation 3 is the biggest bump of that, but that's really just because of the growth of the market. You know, in, in seven years from now, if you're still sitting in the office, we'll be talking about PS4 as being even bigger than that, you would assume. What's next? Um, you know, people, people look... I don't think even seven years ago uh, you could have predicted what we've got now. But you've got a crystal ball here on the table. What's, what's the big thing in two years from now when it comes to trying to talk about the consoles and the way they evolve because by then we'll be talking past the early adopters we'll be trying to get them to do more what's, what's the next big technology in console gaming you know it's it's yeah, I, I've, I've been, been following the leading with yeah. the whole PlayStation evolution to be honest or keeping up uh, it's really hard to see where things go but I think the, the, the streaming content you know the cloud is changing the world yeah. and I think that will be <clears throat> the big inflection point when Really, just like every other content, consumers now expect it everywhere, any device. Yep. So, you know, PlayStation will still play a role as far as a console to play uh, uh, big games because, you know, there's still technology barriers on streaming games. Yep. First party shooters, latency issues. Yep. The, the, our the, own internet. Our own internet, you know, still being reviewed by the, by the government. We hope they make the right call. Um, so, you know, I think that streaming is going to be the big thing. How the, and, and as we said on PlayStation Now, it will definitely be available on, on uh, Sony PlayStation products. And, sorry, Sony products as mm. well. But it will branch out. You know, yeah. we, have to, we have to cater to how the consumer wants the content and cannot put our head in the sand. So I think streaming is it. But, you know, the question is, uh, I always quote this, Bill Gates once said, Technology never happens as quick as you think, but mm. when it happens, it happens much bigger than you think. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's talking about the demise of the CD or, or the, the BD disc physical games. It's all going to digital. Mm. Well, you look at Grand Theft Auto and you look at these big titles that did, you know, $800 million in its first day. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would guess uh, close to 95% plus of that was done physical. Yeah. So it's moving. The question is when. Yeah. And that's why keeps me here for 20 years so um michael just finally um your father of four is that we said father of four boys four, four boys um what have you what's, what's at home uh, obviously the boys uh, have got a playstation four sitting there but do, does michael ephraim have uh, a little man cave where you've got your own unit you can no, you can whole, use the whole house is a man cave <laughs> uh, the boys are 12 to 16 so you yeah. know let me tell you it's a tight uh, bunch it's a it's a tight bunch it's a really well the the youngest are twins too so oh, okay. 16 14 and twin yeah. 12 year olds all boys weekends looks like uh you know arcade uh house <laughs> you know we got 10 kids over fifa's a big favorite all, yeah. all the big games they're, they're playing everything though but as you said they're, they're, they're doing stuff they're, they're playing mini games on their phones yeah, but, but at night time when they're all tucked up and you've turned the Wi-Fi off so they've stopped using it in their rooms what, what do you play? What, what, what's, what's your choice today? I'm, I'm obviously yeah, I, yeah. Every, every, every week it changes but what, what, what so, might you have turned on over the weekend? To be honest you, you, even I have an American accent but I've lived here over 20 years yeah. I've become a real football fanatic yeah. I must say you know my kids play it yeah. uh, we watch in English League Bundesliga we, yeah. we just can't get enough football so 
the 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 easy the ease of getting into it and playability. Just getting into it, yeah. Game of FIFA is the FIFA. Is the easiest thing is, about is it. it? Although I my winning percentage is about five percent because they still kick kick my butt. But <laughs> that's usually the game because you know some of these games you have to invest time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's uh, and, a... and they won't let me on the machines. They, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the old man, right? Come on, Dad, don't embarrass <laughs> us. That kind of thing. <laughs> don't you know who I am? That's what I'd be saying, Michael. Great to chat. Um, Congratulations on the success of the PS4 in this market and PlayStation in this market in 2013. You must be very proud. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Now, there was a story in the West Australian today. Uh, thank you for listening. My name's Trevor Long. Uh, you're listening to Your Tech Life. There was a story in the West Australian today uh, talking about a Senate inquiry uh, looking at ways to target scalpers but still protecting the everyday Joe when it comes to buying and selling concert tickets, or other tickets, of course. Um, the problem here being what um, what the West Australian described as robo, um, robo-bots. Uh, it was some crazy name they gave them. Uh, automated bots uh, sitting around and... Uh, Robo scalpers, sorry, that's that's what they were calling them. Robo scalpers buying tickets and uh, and then selling them off for a higher price, and someone's making a lot of money. And you know the problem is that's the economy we live in. And I was asked today several times, what what can we do at a technology level to to help and or prevent this? And in the end, it comes down to stopping them from actually buying tickets um, automatically on bulk. Now, you know, most of the times you can only buy two or four tickets, but if you're a smart programmer and you want to set up a, a system that goes to the website simultaneously 50 times and buys two tickets, then you've got 100 tickets at cost price. And, you know, when it sells out quickly, you can sell them immediately for a profit, let alone wait and hold out. And uh, as has been pointed out in the article and, and is available on Viagogo, uh, there are Rolling Stones tickets for $12,000, a 2,000% markup. Now, Viagogo is um, is really the the website to go to if you do want to buy or sell tickets because it. You might remember I spoke to one of the founders of Viagogo some time ago. Uh, you know, when you sell on eBay or Gumtree, you run a risk, um, or when you buy, more importantly, too. Uh, is the ticket legit? Has it been cancelled by the organizer? All these different things. With Viagogo, you go to the website, you see a twelve thousand dollar ticket, you buy it. Uh, the money sort of sits in escrow. It's confirmed that you have it, but it doesn't get paid to the seller until you physically attend the concert. And then they get their money. So you're kind of protected. You could still be bitterly disappointed if it is a scam, but you won't lose your money. So to be honest, I think that the best way to um, prevent the problem is to make reselling legal uh, but to make it happen through uh, an authorised reseller like Viagogo. Um, interesting little system. I did it for the first time today investigating this story. You could type in a concert, for example. You can click on the area you want to sit and it shows you tickets in that area. Fantastic stuff. But I'm still not sure there's a way of actually preventing the multiple ticket buying and scalping situation. I don't know. What do you think? Is, have you had an experience? I, I've never bought a scalp ticket nor... Have I needed to sell one? So I don't know. 
um, let me know what you think. I'd love to know what you as a user uh, are seeing or doing with uh, with regards to, to concert tickets or scalping. So let me know what happens and uh, you can get in touch with me. Just go to the website eftm.com.au or you can call 1-800-157-157. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, your Tech, tech life. life with Trevor Long. And thank you for listening. Uh, your Tech Life is the name of the show. My name is Trevor Long and you can get in touch. Just go to eftm.com.au. Now, I spoke earlier in the show to Mark, uh, our caller from last week, and um, a good resolution. Mark had uh, had bought a Samsung TV some years ago, uh, and it had a fault in it. Uh, he also had an extended warranty, and despite Samsung trying to fix it for him, uh, they they acknowledged that it was unfixable. Offered him a depreciated refund, but um, but that wasn't enough because he was out of pocket. He he didn't have a TV that worked, and his insurer uh, wasn't coming to the party. In the end, Samsung, as you heard, have replaced his TV and. The retailer JB Hi-Fi have uh, refunded entirely his um, extended warranty or the amount he paid. No word from the insurer, but in the end, not much we can do about them. So it caused me to think, what is the deal with extended warranties? And uh, certainly in New South Wales, where, where I broadcast from, uh, the, um, the the Department of Fair Trading is uh, fantastic at dealing with, with these situations. And the the Fair Trading Commissioner, Rod Stowe, is on the line. G'day, Rod. G'day, Trevor. Mate, thanks for the for the chat. Uh, you um you put out a release, in fact, at the end of last year, looking at uh, extended warranties, and a fair bit of work had been done to to look into how these things operate. Just go back a little bit for me. My my caller Mark had done a lot of research and talked about this particular date back a couple of years ago and how consumer law had changed. What is that point in time, and what's the big difference around that? Yeah, look, from the 1st of January 2011, the Australian Consumer Law came into operation and uh, what the Australian Consumer Law contains, amongst other consumer protection provisions, is consumer guarantees. And what that means, Trevor, is that uh, if you buy any goods and services uh, of a consumer variety, you're entitled to this consumer guarantee and it uh, ensures, for instance, that the goods are of acceptable quality, fit for purpose, that uh, there's no um, you know, um, hidden costs uh, associated with it. Um, and that applies free of charge. Um, and there's no particular um, period of time. It really depends on the value of the goods and what mm. would be the expected life uh, of, of those goods. So when you um, buy a television, um, you usually do get a manufacturer's guarantee against defects. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually only for maybe a year, possibly two years. Uh, and that's where they guarantee that uh, they stand behind their workmanship. But uh, as you, um, your caller had pointed out, uh, often the retailer will offer you a extended guarantee or extended warranty, and um, you actually have to pay for that. Um, and you know, people feel that because you know one year is a short period of time, and they paid you know many thousands of dollars perhaps for the goods, mm. they need to take out that uh, that extended warranty. However, I think people need to think very carefully because um, you've already got that consumer guarantee. Uh, it doesn't um, have a particular period of time. Um, and you know you really have to consider whether an extended warranty is is good value. And I think um, what a lot of people get caught out with is often it's um, offered to you at uh, point of sale. So you know you've actually bought the television or the mm. electrical goods, and oh, do you want the extended warranty? And I think people are taken off guard. They don't have a chance to read it because one of the issues too is extended warranties often have a lot of exclusions, and um, you know things you think you might be covered for are actually excluded from the, the extended warranty. Whereas in reality, the things that you want to be covered for by that extended warranty are probably covered under the Australian Consumer Law. 
Exactly so, exactly so. And, and look, you know, my own experience when I've been offered uh, extended warranties in recent times... Well, jeez, wouldn't you be a nightmare customer at the <laughs> checkout? <laughs> well, yeah, people try to persuade me, but um, when I point out that, uh, you know, I've got a consumer guarantee, um, you know, they start to take notice. <laughs> How does the consumer, but, uh, consumer law or the consumer guarantee differ from, or is it exactly the same as the thing I bang on about, which is statutory warranty? Mm. Is that kind of replace the terminology? Because, for it, example, it and, and, and not yeah. picking on, on Apple, but... It's a good example because they're a pretty good company when it comes to, to these things. Someone says to mm. me, they call me up either here or on the radio or wherever it is, and they say, you know, this thing is broken or it stopped working. And the thing's only three years old. And I say to them, look, you know, that's a fundamental feature of the device. Mm. It should still work. If you go back and, and, and drop the word statutory warranty, they'll normally, uh, you know, pretty readily make it make it happen for you and make it work. So these days, the, the word is Australian consumer law and consumer guarantee should cover you for the things that you expect it to do. That's right. It's very similar to uh, implied warranties, statutory warranties, but um, that was fairly complicated because that actually implied that those conditions were actually in the contract. Uh, this is a much um, yeah, clearer uh, concept. We've actually um, borrowed it from the New Zealanders uh, who have had it in place for a number of years. Uh, and I think you know, uh, hopefully consumers will um, you know, get to understand that uh, this applies in these circumstances and they have this cover. As you pointed out, um, last year, consumer protection agencies across Australia worked together to have a close look at those uh, companies that do um, offer extended warranties. And uh, whilst a number of them we thought were compliant with the law, there were several that uh, we thought were problematic. Uh, the ACCC has actually um, taken some of those to task and, and uh, taken prosecution action. Mm-hmm. I should also point out that if... Um, a trader tries to um, persuade you that you don't have a consumer um, guarantee and tries to mislead a consumer, then that's an offence as well. So mm. um, you know, traders need to be very careful about um, how they do um, you know, market um, extended warranties. Geez, people talk about uh, often, you know, the law and, and all these things being uh, mm. against the consumer. This is a this is a strong. Uh, a strong case for the consumer winning here in terms of something that, that you guys have been able to get across the line because it seems like it offers just that peace of mind that people should have when they are making purchases of a small or a large kind in, in terms of basic consumer technology in the field that I deal. Yeah, exactly. So, And what, what the, the consumer um, guarantees have introduced is the concept of major um, failure uh, and um, Minor failure. So if it's a major failure, you know, goods are you know, dead on arrival, they don't work, mm. then it's you, the consumer, who gets to choose, you know, what the remedy should be. So you get right. to choose whether it's a refund or a replacement, or you can keep the goods and seek to be compensated for the loss in value. Right. If it's just a minor problem, um, you know, there's a scratch on the on the cover or some such thing, then it's the trader's responsibility to decide, you know, what sort of redress that they'll offer, which might be, you know, a repair or a replacement of, uh, of the mm-hmm. goods. Right. Um, the other thing that people need to be aware of too is that um, often people are concerned that they need to keep all the original packaging of the, um, you know, the yeah. you know, goods that they've, they've bought. Yep. Uh, because they, built, they believe they can take them back and, and have the goods um, refunded. Now, uh, one of the things we've written into the law um, is a, a, um, a provision that uh, makes it very clear that you can't be compelled to uh, return goods uh, in original packaging if there's been you know, some, some defect and your consumer guarantee applies. Mm. And which, is, which is very useful because especially in the case of a TV, the thing hangs on your wall, as my caller Mark said, and, and you know it's part of your furniture. You don't want to keep the box for a TV lying around. Those things are massive. Um, and 
Absolutely. And and look, you know, you know, one of the reasons I raised this when we were actually designing the legislation is my own executive assistant uh, told me she couldn't fit things in the garage. And when mm-hmm. I inquired, it was because she had all these boxes she was too frightened to throw out. And, uh, you know, that, that's clearly, you know, uh, not the way, um, you know, these transactions should work. Just one one final thing, which is it commonly comes up in these circumstances, I guess. And, and let, let's now assume that people do take a little bit more advisement when it comes to that extended warranty. Mm. And uh, look, we're not saying mm. don't get them. We're just saying be wary, mm. uh, take your time, understand what they are and, and don't be compelled at the point of exactly. sale, I guess. Um, yeah. w- when you do have a problem, if you haven't taken out a consumer, uh, an extended warranty, mm. when you do have a problem, is the first port of call your retailer or is it the manufacturer? Because often there's a little bit mm. of he said, she said, and you know, go see him and yeah. go see them, isn't there? There is. Um, legally, the contract is between you and the retailer. So, mm. you know, you can take it back to the retailer and the retailer is responsible for honouring that consumer guarantee. Mm. What we're told by some retailers is that quite often um, it's quicker if you go to the, the manufacturer. Yep. Um, you know, it saves delays and, and that might be the case. But for a lot of consumers, that might not be particularly convenient. Yep. Uh, the manufacturer's, you know, warehouse or um, you know, premises may be you know, a long way from you know, mm. where you live. Uh, so, you know, if you do return to the retailer, they are obliged um, you know, to deal with the, the problem. Uh, and Trevor, if, if people are having difficulties, uh, I'd certainly invite them to contact Fair Trading. You can ring us on 13 32 20, our general inquiry number, or drop us a line on our uh, website or our Facebook page, and we're more than happy to assist. And, um, you know, we, we can usually give you some information to, you know, help you, um, you know, push your um, consumer rights. But if that's not successful, we can actually intervene on your behalf and see if we can sort the problem out for you. Oh, and I think when the Department of Fair Trading comes calling, retailers listen. And that's that's the that's the bonus of, of the work that you've done. And I, look, Rod, congratulations on, on the work that you've done over over a long time, and specifically in this case to, to create this Australian Consumer Law and the Consumer Guarantee. You know, having worked in and around the media for, for many years, uh, I think that your department, and let alone you individually, uh, are among the best uh, in terms of you know, dealing with the public as a government agency, and I think that's something you should be very proud of. Now, look, I am very proud of the, the people working in fair trading. They do a great job, and um, you know, um, I really appreciate that, Trevor, um, um, and I'll certainly convey that to um, the, the folks who work in fair trading. Thanks very much, and uh, and if you've got a question or a comment about technology and, and how you know the consumer law might affect you, uh, you can get in touch. Just go to the website eftm.com.au. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I've been sent um, a little pack, uh, apparently limited edition, uh, Gran Turismo 6 pack, um, limited to 2,600. So it's, it's pretty limited. The 15th anniversary of Gran Turismo 6. Are you a Gran Turismo player? Have you got edition number 6? I'm a very lucky man because I've been given 1 million in-game credits. I am going to... Get online and buy something amazing and go driving tonight. Gran Turismo 6. Let me know what you think of the game. If you've got it, if you love your car games, how does it stack up against Forza? How does it stack up against other things you've seen? Gran Turismo 6. It's been out now for a couple of months on the PlayStation 3. Um, I'm going to give that a whack tonight. Be fantastic. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. You can always get in touch. EFTM.com.au or call 1-800-157-157. One five seven. Always great to uh, hear from people listening and uh, people with questions and problems. You can catch me on the radio now and then across the place. I'll uh, publish those dates and times up on the website. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. You are listening to Your Tech Life. <laughs>